0: Welcome to See Africa, Breathe Africa, a weekly podcast made to bring Africa's Gorilla Highlands region closer to you. It's co-hosted by a travel consultant and cultural tourism expert, Mihalogar Logar, in Rwanda, and an Afrofusion musician, Joe Kahiri in Uganda. In this episode, they're helped by Ambrose Chibuka, a Ugandan specialist in human performance systems, Marcus Westberg, a Swedish photographer, and Paul Ishingwe, a Rwandan postgraduate business student in Poland.
1: See Africa Breeze Africa.
2: I dreamt of a house in the country where my family would be happy. I dreamt of a trip to k see the hippos, with the peoples I dreamt of a place, we could all be happy, someday, somewhere, somehow. This could all happen by the fighting now, this could all happen by the stealing now. This could all happen but this killing now, this could all happen but this cheating now, this could all happen but this cheating, killing, stealing. And all I heard was the armies camping on the playground, but where the children playing, where they play. Yep, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of See Africa, Breathe Africa. My name is Kahiri. And the song you just listened to is called Kidepo. It's off the first album of the band that I'm part of, that's Quella. Uh, it talks about how we live in a land that could be so wonderful, so gorgeous, just the most heavenly place in the whole world. But then you keep hearing stories, and it's about this cognitive dissonance between what's the reality and what could be the reality. What can we dream of this place to be? Well, I hope this is a nice introduction to the topic for today and I would like to hand over to my co-host Miha to get us
3: into the mood. Kahiri, thank you very much. I'm really happy that we've gathered quite a number of us for the last episode of the first season of See Africa, Breathe Africa to discuss one of the most central questions that we have ever asked ourselves and others. And that is the question of how Africa is portrayed around the world, and in the minds of Africans ourselves.
0: The core question, how to change Africa's image worldwide.
3: We have definitely changed the image of Africa for thousands of people. But my feeling is that we can and that we should do more. And to help us see how we could best do that, we have invited two very important characters from the 20 years of our history. One is Ambrose Chibuka, who is the co-founder of Idirisa, the organization that is the mother of the Gorilla Hallens Initiative, and Marcus Westberg, who is let's say the current ideology master within our group very fascinating question we have for our conversation today
4: uh, and and for me i put on very thick uh, lenses that tend to see reality in um, the light of education and, and and for me it's it's very exciting this conversation that we are
3: going to have and we are very happy to have you with us. If you maybe wondered about the way Amro speaks, he comes from a family of priests. So, uh, Marcus, please give us a small introduction to yourself. Well,
5: believe it or not, I actually come from a family of priest, at least in the singular. My grandfather was a priest as well. I'll focus my thoughts more from the perspective of tourism and responsible tourism, which was how I was introduced to Edirisa and Gorilla Highlands in the first place.
3: Kahiri, you had this biblical quote that I now feel like asking you to repeat when we were preparing for this show. Uh, what did you want to say about the image and perception and so on? Well, the biblical quote... I didn't say it was biblical. I said it was from a history book
2: because I know how the word Bible can polarize people. But as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. I think that perception equals reality in a sense that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy the way you look at yourself and the way you look at the world.
3: Um, Kahiri is my co-host, so you've definitely heard from him, and by now you know a little bit about him. If you want to learn more about Marcus and Ambrose, they have written two very thought-provoking pieces about the history of our organization just recently, and Marcus, of course, is also an award-winning photographer who has been blessing our productions with his images for too many years already.
2: As we do every week, we have the voice of Santa Barbara. Let's go over to the voice.
0: Wherever you go on planet Earth and ask locals which continent they believe has the most problems in the world, they'll likely answer Africa. But Africa's number one problem may well be that exceedingly dark perception, that it's drowning in poverty, sickness and wars. The reality is far more complex and really full of promise. For a couple of decades, an organization called Ederisa, a window in the local language of southwestern Uganda, has been working to change Africa's image. The goal has been to paint a less simplistic and a more authentic picture of an astonishing continent, not a basket case, but a place with a bright future. This is not merely to appear more attractive towards outsiders and consequently bring tourism, trade, and other global benefits to the people of eastern and central Africa. It's also to show locals that they don't need to leave in search of a better life.
3: Ambrose, you being the person with whom I started this beautiful, crazy organization, and you being the one that influenced me deeply with your focus on education and psychology even, could I invite you to be the one to present the local side of the problem?
4: I think that a metaphor here or a scenario can help to expose what I have in my mind. I usually give a scenario and and ask uh, my audiences that I want you to imagine if one day all Ugandans are taken out of Uganda and taken to Japan and all all Japanese brought to Uganda and the Japanese come with nothing and the Ugandans go with nothing and I ask uh, 20 years down the road, how will Uganda look like? And those same 20 years down the road, how will Japan look like? The answer usually gate from Africans, from, from Ugandans in this case, is, you know, Uganda will be uh, like Japan, the current Japan, after 20 years, and, and Japan will be tending towards uh, the semblance of the current Uganda. But that summarizes what image do we have as Ugandans about ourselves and that image which we have about ourselves definitely is what we portray to the rest of the world and where do we pick that image from those of us the, the biggest segment of ugandans or africans who interface and create an impression or image of, of africa of uganda to the rest of the world are those who have gone to school therefore can express themselves in languages other than the local languages and, and so The question then becomes, what is it that we pick in school that makes us see uh, Africa in in the image of a disabled uh, continent, in the image of a poor, condemned continent? What is it in our education that makes us develop these images in our
3: mind? I would like to add a historical fact. Before... Today's Israelis chose to go where their roots were. They were offered Uganda as the State of Israel. There was room in the north of the country because of tsetse flies and other issues, so Uganda could as well be Israel today, if it wasn't for their choice. When the Israelis of today come to visit Uganda, they cannot believe. They're like, why didn't we choose this <laughs> over those over those rocks? As a Rwanda resident, I must talk a little bit about the contrast of how the two nations see each other. They are both abundantly blessed Rwanda has, of course, a fraction of Uganda's territory, but is also the land of milk and honey. And Rwandans are much more proud of what they have. If you ask the same question that Ambrose talked about, I think their answer could be very different. But who am I to judge? I would rather invite Paul, who is a proper Rwandan, also with experience uh, in the neighboring country of Uganda, to tell us how Rwandans perceive their country and themselves.
1: Uh, yes, uh, Rwanda in those 20 years, it would be uh, better than even uh, Japan. But also, uh, I think if we had the same leader, the, like the mentality that we have as Rwandans are of today at the moment, and we take that rhythm to Japan, uh, I think Japan would also improve, uh, but rather than the de- de- declining or going backwards, according to its location, because mostly like Rwandans, they be like, yeah, you know, you see, we are we don't have this or that because we are landlocked in the country, and now they don't have an excuse. Now they are touching the sea and everything, so. So my point of view, uh, maybe they'll be like they would not be having an excuse of saying we are going to sit and close our hands like to ourselves and do nothing. So I would say that uh, Rwanda would improve, but also Japan will not stay the same.
2: Uh, there are a lot of Ugandans that uh, have a certain amount of admiration for what Rwanda has managed to achieve in uh, in the last few decades but i think that um looking at uganda we have everything there's no reason why this country shouldn't be a paradise apart apart from the mindset of the people living here now uh, i think it's time for us to get an outside perspective and at this point, I will call upon Marcus.
5: Yeah, I, I guess I would start with saying that the fact that the world has a perception of Africa as though Africa is one place is, is a good place to kick off. Uh, if, if we want to look at the why it can be problematic, because of course, Morocco, Senegal, South Africa and DRC don't necessarily have that much in common. So that's a start, right? Because the more you try to pull into one definition the more you need to generalize and the more people tend to base what they think or what they believe or what they think they know on what they read in the news or what they've heard from someone so if i go on safari to africa that can mean a lot of different things and someone else going to a different part of the continent you know they, they might draw the conclusion that that the experience is going to be the same just because both of them happen to be in the same continent but i really wanted to talk about what kairi said when he opened up this whole conversation about perception and reality so it's a, it's a feedback cycle right in the, you know you have a perception of something that that reinforces what you think the reality is you then try to whether consciously or subconsciously, you adjust your reality to become closer to the perception you have of that reality. And I think tourism uh, is an interesting angle to approach this from, because tourism, you know, it can be a tool to help change the perception of a place, both from the outside and from the inside, but it also reinforces it. But the reason behind the Derisa and Gorilla Highlands region is a, is a really good example of this. From the beginning, this has been very much about taking a part of Africa famous for one thing in particular it's mountain gorillas and trying to expand on that image into something else uh, you know more focused on culture and people but because the tourism industry is built upon that one attraction that is naturally why most people who come to the region come there and that of course has an impact both on what people in this region think that other people see when they hear about Uganda or Rwanda or Congo, um, as well as how people in that region tend, you know, will adjust their own view of it. You know, if you if you live in an area with one main attraction, then you might quite naturally start to think yourselves as well that well, this is the one thing we have to offer, and, and so I think tourism has helped reinforce an image of this being a one attraction place for the rest of the world.
3: We've of course been trying to change that by all means. And we've come to a situation where we have probably succeeded at expanding, first of all, the number of offers, but secondly, also um, the mentality of what is and what isn't tourism and what could be tourism. Marcus, when you think of tourism in the sense of responsible tourism, what opportunities do you see? Because to me, a tourist once that person comes here and has an opportunity to touch on the variety of what we have here, is likely to become our ambassador and tell others about what is really happening and what is on offer in the Gorilla Highlands region. Isn't that like a major potential positive outcome of bringing travelers here to basically share the news with the world because many times what your friend says is much more valid much more legitimate than what you see on tv
5: yeah i I would certainly agree though of course we're still talking about a tiny 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 proportion of even the population of say slovenia uh, who you know will know somebody who has been to Uganda or Rwanda. So I absolutely agree. I think ambassadorship you know formal or informal is huge word of mouth is much more powerful and that's one way of, of course of getting away from the large generalizations of i've been to africa because somebody who's just spent i don't know three weeks around lake Pignoni is probably not going to be speaking about africa but speaking about lake Pignoni and i think the more we, you know the more specific we can get the easier it becomes to move away from from generalizations and preconceived ideas and you know you're not going to be confusing something that happens two thousand Kilometers away, uh, just because it happens to fall on the same continent. So, no, absolutely, tourism has massive potential in in so many ways. There are many pitfalls, but that is why defining this as responsible tourism is so important. You know, there aren't so many right ways of doing something, but there are certainly many wrong ways of of doing it.
4: There is uh, something of, of particular interest to me: an intersection between education and tourism. Yeah, I think one of the ways that really we can change the image, specifically, if I speak for Uganda but general of Africa, is if we intensify on educational tourism, because if what America wants to, to have Africa or the rest of the world breathe America and see America, they will use public diplomacy and make sure they have lots of scholarships, that people will go there and before they know it, they have demystified America and they fall in love with it. So I think we, one of the strategies changing the perception of the, the rest of the world about Africa is this whole uh, un, uh, underexplored dimension of educational tourism.
3: We have indeed always intended to combine education and tourism and media production. And I don't want, we are very often perceived as people who are about tourism and therefore they need to promote tourism through media activities. Not at all. Like, in the center of what we are, the window it it's of course changing the image of Africa and multimedia production is crucial for that with tourism or without, so we see tourism more as an addition to media production than the other way around What do you think, Marcus? can be done? I mean, you are now definitely the most famous person among us with regular columns in the New York Times. Do you see some impact uh, based on the interaction with readers and everything else that you are
5: doing—it's—it's it's tough to answer because I tend to be quite skeptical of the impact of, of my work uh, because you, it's just hard to know what's what's real and what's not. Uh, there's often a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, how much of that translates to real action is uh, is always questionable. But no, look—I mean, of course, there's uh, there's opportunities now to reach people. In a way that that there wasn't before, for you know, for people like myself, you know, I don't have a journalism background, so I wouldn't have ended up with the New York Times if it hadn't been for well, basically the, the times we live in and, and the technology being available uh, and so on. On the other hand, it also means that we're constantly flooded with information. So I, I think you know this is one of the reasons why I've been so enthusiastic about this project for so long is that it, it keeps changing or it keeps adjusting, but not not because it doesn't know what it wants, but rather because the times are changing. You know, there's always a few different options a few different paths that we're trying out. And this one worked this year, but then next year, maybe not so much. Okay, well, which direction can we go in now while still maintaining the core message? And I think that's really key. I think longevity and flexibility are are what you need in in today's landscape. I mean, the podcast is just one example that certainly wasn't on the cards,
2: you know, a year or two ago, um, and yet here we are. One of the things that we are not doing so great as people from Africa is taking control of our branding. What people say about us should probably be informed by what we say about ourselves. Like you said, this podcast is one of the great examples of, you know, Africans now telling their story for themselves, controlling that narrative, because you could always make things sound the way that you want to make them sound. And for some people, it benefits them to, paint a story picture because it gives them the right to then step over people to disregard what people think uh, simply because their voice is louder and more important. I I always give this example of when you go to visit a family uh, or when a family goes out to visit, they always They'll dress up their best. They'll dress up their kids well, and they'll put out their best front. Now, things may not be that well at home, but they'll always put out the best front when they step out. I think that the way Africans have been doing our thing is like, yo, just grab a soiled dirty kid, and you put on your housework clothes, and just step out and go for a visit. And this is a picture that you presented. You could present it better. And I think that today's world presents a lot of wonderful opportunities for us to do that.
3: I believe that we cannot just ignore what Kahiri has mentioned. And that is the fact that most probably a lot of the poverty-stricken image of Africa is a result of organizations that directly benefit from telling the world that this is a basket case.
5: The problem, as I would see it, is that there are two very different narratives about Africa and neither one of them is... Particularly accurate. One is the the narrative that you have both just spoken about, um, which and I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of projects that start with good intentions when they get too big, and and then all of a sudden they're dependent on large numbers of donors, and then they need to present a purpose and a reason for why they need to continue existing. And then, as you say, they essentially benefit from there being issues. Add to that, I'm sure a number of politicians who will gladly help themselves to some of what is coming in as well. So that's on the one hand. But then on the other hand, we have this other image of come to see these wonderful people and wonderful cultures. And I mean, yes, you know, there, there's truth to both sides, but one is a very romanticized generalization and the other one is a, a particularly negative one. And the truth is that you know africa like every place on, on the planet is very complex and nuanced and so you know we need stories definitely but we need authentic stories you know most stories aren't only positive or only negative you know we want people's expectations when they come we want them to be excited but not to have warped unrealistic views of, of that they're coming to either meet uh, you know quote unquote pure people who haven't been tainted by the west or that this is a land of poverty and war uh, and we need to feel sorry for everybody because you know we want to meet real people and have conversations as equals not um, somebody who's either just much better off or completely in awe of absolutely everything we see we, we need to meet people and we need to be people and we need to be equals you know personally I find it really fascinating to spend time working on projects in, in Maasai land in Kenya, where people have smartphones and jeans, but otherwise dress traditionally, right? But I also know that a lot of those same people, if they are being visited by an organized tour, they will go in and change out of their jeans and put their smartphones away because they expect that what tourists want to see is a very traditional way of life and you know for me i just i just think that the you know there shouldn't be any loss in having a more authentic image you know be who you are if you like to wear jeans wear jeans this this is why i've always enjoyed the batwa experience from Ederisa and gorilla highlands more than what was presented through the national parks where it was clear that they were getting people to dress up in clothes that they would definitely not wear under normal circumstances um, and basically pretend to still be living in the forest where they've been kicked out from rather than a more sort of honest appraisal like this is, you know, this is how we live now Um, let us take you into the forest to show you how, how it used to be but you, you, you know, you just get the impression that there's a more sort of honest picture being painted. And if we want to change outsiders' um, impression or image of Africa, well, then you you also need to present uh, an honest, an honest image to them.
4: Very, very interesting uh, argument there, Marcus is raising, um, and I think it points us back to see Africa, breathe Africa for what it truly is without uh, cosmetic uh, surgery on anything. And I, I, th- I think my, my connecting point there is this whole notion of an identity crisis. I think in many ways, uh, looking around our communities, this is what I seem to be seeing. On the one hand, we want to present what it is that we think will appeal to the outsider. And yet, on the other hand, inside our conscience, there is that which we are comfortable with, that which we are. It could be a blend of both the modern and the traditional. And, and that is, that is uh, who we are at the moment. That's where we are at at the moment. But like Marcus is, is saying, you know, if, if people have to run to their hearts to take off the jeans and and put on uh, a wrapper in order to present what they think the tourists want to see. I I think to myself,
2: okay, if um, Africans, say, adopted a style of dressing, a style of living that is natural to where we are, so we're not trying to live in the forest, in the huts and everything, but how do we say now, we can take that lifestyle and adapt it to what has become the modern day and present that as an alternative through songs and music and movies and and cultural experiences and that sort of thing that
3: promote local solutions. Rwanda, by default, is very, very homegrown solution-centered. Paul, is there anything you can think of to add?
1: That's, that's the image where we have to be proud of our country and we have to think uh, in a way that we are going to not depend on anybody else. We have to look for solutions within or among ourselves. We have to be like, okay, right now at this moment, I don't have any other option apart from asking someone else. But that one you, have to, you do it when it is like the last reason. That's the mindset that is being developed in, in Rwanda. For me, it's not an issue whether you you know dress traditionally or not,
5: and if you put on a show when there's people coming, that's totally fine. The danger for me is if somebody who performs in, in such a show, for example, or, or one of these guys that I know in Kenya who would run in and change because a tour is coming, if they only think that, that the only reason that somebody from the outside would be interested in meeting them or speaking to them is because they dress like this and because they live a very traditional life. It makes the, the real way that, that these guys, whoever they are, live their lives seem less valuable and that they are not interesting enough as the people they are. I think learning about culture and tradition is fantastic, but it it shouldn't be at the expense of somebody feeling, well, you know, the only reason that anybody would want to come and talk to me um, or learn about my life is if if I basically pretend that it's something it isn't or it's, you know, I show them the life of my ancestors only. I'd still want them to feel like, well, I, I still have something to offer. I mean, like you with your music, right? I mean, that's it's cultural, but it's it's also very authentic. And it's it's a mixture of tradition and modern and everything else, because it's, it's complex and it's nuanced, because that's what people are
4: like. There is no need for, for pretense. Uh, and that's because that's what causes the identity crisis. So, it's a, if it's a blended culture we are living in now, and that's our reality, then we portray it the way it is. If you want to portray, for example, how things used to be, then of course you present it as such that it used to be, but no longer is. But anyway, I can show you how it used to be. Well, let us also not pretend to be
2: what we cannot be, our dear listeners. We're not yet known enough. And at the very end of our podcasting season, we can humbly tell you, to keep this going, we need you to give us a hand. We started the episode with a core question that has many answers. We went from education, national pride, and leadership, to tourism and multimedia, avoiding generalizations as much as we could. We talked about the opportunities today's world offers us, And one of them is the power you can right now feel under your fingertips. Your available response to the issue of changing Africa's image is sharing See Africa, Breathe Africa with your friends and with your colleagues. Not only with your open minds about the continent and the Gorilla Highlands region, you will give us a push we honestly need. A growing audience will be the best guarantee that this school team returns in 2022. Thank you in advance for doing that. Thank you all who have taken part in this live recording, just listening in to the wisdom of the speakers or chipping in. And finally, thank you, our lost historian, Ian Cantwell, for reaching out to your family after six long months. Ah, We all breathed a sigh of relief. We need you. We need each and everyone. And together, we will. Africa, yeah. Breathe Africa, see Africa. Yeah. Until next time, this is Miha, this is Kahiri, this is the Sea Africa, Breathe Africa crew signing out. When you walk through this beautiful land, Open up your mind. Yeah. When you interact with everybody that you meet here, you better open up your heart. And you will hear the stories you never heard before and see the things you've never seen before. And then this world will open up to you in a way you never knew. See Africa yeah yeah see yeah, yeah, yeah. Africa Breathe Africa